A couple things. Uh, we have a men's meeting after our Bible study time tonight, but uh, just a couple missionary updates that I'll just bring at your attention. Uh, I got a letter this week uh, from Dr. Joy. Many of you know Dr. Joy at Medical Missions. Amazing lady. Been with uh, Baptist Mid Missions for a long time. Uh, Brother Bill, you know, you probably know Dr. Joy, don't you? Do you and I? Okay. Uh, I know Brock and Lori know her well, and Karen knows her well, and she's been one of our missionaries for many years, and she's reti- semi-retiring at the end of this year, and so uh, she sent a letter saying that, you know, she won't need uh, monthly support as of the end of this year, and uh, so we uh, just keep her in your prayers as she has this time of transition in her life, and I will be disappointed that won't get to see her every, you know, once or twice a year like we have for the last several years, but just an amazing lady. What, you know, sometimes some of you guys in here think you're tough men. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe Mike Jones could keep up with her through the jungles of Cambodia and Thailand, maybe. Uh, but, man, this lady took, went to medical missions in some very remote areas to share the gospel. Just uh, just amazing lady. So we rejoice in that. I also mentioned to you tonight, uh, matter of fact, Jenny's back there finalizing our, uh, we, we send our, our missionaries, we have 15 missionaries on our Grace Giving program, and just, you know, most of you know this, but I assume aside too much, but uh, 10% of all the general money that comes in, general fund money, gets taken out of the general fund and put into the Grace Giving Missions Fund, and on top of that, we encourage and challenge each of you to above your normal offering to help the church operate above that to trust God and give some money directly to missions and write a check or on, on the, I think on the app you can designate it into grace giving and then at the end of the month uh, we add those numbers up so as the church does better the number gets bigger and then as more people get involved in supporting missions you know above their regular giving uh, we send more money. Our missionaries never quite know how much <laughs> what's going to happen. So the times we've had some tough times out of a missionary call saying, hey, is everything okay at Open Door? Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. How can you tell? So they pray for us more than other churches. I promise you that because they know the better that we do financially, the better they do. And um, so it's kind of one of those things, and I just want to encourage you. But this, this uh, we, we sent out uh, this particular time, Jenny, this is a three-month one that's set going out and it's about $750 per missionary so it's about 200 and something dollars a month you know which I love to that's a, a pretty good average and but sometimes it's you know sometimes less than that sometimes it's more than that uh but that's that's a pretty good number so I rejoice uh in the Lord in that all right in your Bibles tonight we're going to be in John chapter number two in your Bibles John uh, the gospel of John chapter number two as we continue in the life of the Messiah study we are going to be looking at uh, if you're in uh Ariel's uh harmony of the gospels paragraph number 30 uh in uh, life of Messiah and uh, matter of fact, we're going to go through paragraph 30 and begin paragraph 31 tonight, Lord willing. And remember, we just got done looking at Jesus performing his first miracle. He really didn't, you know, wasn't in his, uh, he told his mom it wasn't really the hour he wanted to come public, but uh, they needed, uh, they were out of wine at the wedding and you can watch the last two. Matter of fact, if you guys want to know, the last couple of weeks on teaching on alcohol has been some of the most viewed videos that, 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 that we have done, you know, so I'm, I'm thankful. There's a real interest in that. So if you're watching, want to understand, well, you know, how does that work? Uh, look back at alcohol, alcoholology one and then two. Uh, but tonight we're moving on from that and I can imagine on their walk home, and that's where we pick things up, <clears throat> paragraph 30 is John chapter number 2 and verse number 12. Uh, the Bible says, after this, after the, the wedding, he went down to Capernaum. 
he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. So we're told this information. Sometimes in Scripture, it's interesting to me how we're given information, and, you know, we know that every word of God is given. It's pure. It's all inspired, and God chose to let us have that. And I sometimes like, oh, this is kind of interesting. What do wants to know? Or what, what, what's the, what, what, what does God want me to learn from this? And <laughs> so I sit there, and I think about that, and I thought, can you imagine walking back from the wedding you know, from Cana back into uh, uh, Capernaum. And, and the Bible's pretty clear here that they're going to Capernaum, and it's Jesus and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. That's a group, right? I don't know, how, how, how do you do after you've been at your spouse or your, your family on either side for like Thanksgiving coming up here and you're there for several days? You know, your kid's so excited to drive from Alabama to New York or whatever crazy place you go um, and, and then you get there and you're there for a few days. I don't know. I don't know how it is for you, but <laughs> that was, I, I thought, man, that might be quite, and I wonder what the discussion was on the way there. You know, I imagine the discussion was, you know, everybody going, hey, you believe what Jesus did? You know, I, I know it was water. I watched it. I saw it was the water pots and the next thing you know, it's not water anymore. I mean, I don't know how to explain that. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what the thing was, but it's interesting that then when they get to Capernaum, which would become the operational center of Jesus' ministry, basically. Um, the Bible's very clear that once they got there, they didn't stay there very long. They weren't there many days. Now, I don't know why that was. I don't know if they said, we've had enough family time. Uh, I tend to think that Jesus was like, you know, all right, time's a-wasting, got things to do, and, you know, he heads off to Jerusalem is where we're, we're going we're gonna to see him go. Uh, so it, it just interesting verse with some background information. So we move on to verse number 13 as we go into paragraph 31, and the Bible says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, again, if you know your map, thinking Jewish here, understand if you looked at a map, for those of us who like maps, you know, men who don't like to ask directions, give me a map, right, guys? I, I, I'm telling you, I, I am scared. If anything ever happened to Siri, no, this generation would not know how to go nowhere. Uh, they would be, I don't know how to get there. Siri doesn't tell me to turn right in 500 feet. You know, I like maps myself, still do. Uh, good old-fashioned maps. We need, I'm hanging on to them so when all the system collapses, I'll still know how to get to, I don't know where I want to get, probably... I want to find my way to Brock's house or Matt's house or Michael's house. I want to find somewhere so he's got something to eat. You know, <laughs> that's about it. Um, yeah, Andrew, Martha's house, your house works. But, but uh, on a map, if you were to look at it, Capernaum is up by the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, which is due north of Jerusalem, which is more down by the Dead Sea along the Jordan River. So on a map, I'm one of those guys that say, if you were in Capernaum, you would be going down to Jerusalem because you're going south. Don't you love it when people do that backwards and they say they're here and they're saying, we're going down to New York City. No, no, you're, no, you're not. You're going up to New York City. Um, unless you think the earth is flat, then you could say, I'm going over to New York City. <laughs> right, Kyrie? Um, but uh, uh, no, in, in Jewish mindset, whenever you were going to Jerusalem, you were going up to it. Matter of fact, if you notice in verse 12, it said they went uh, down to Capernaum. And depending where you think Cana was, and there's different people think where that was, Again, interesting and the choice of terminology. But when it came to Jerusalem, when you were going to Jerusalem, you were going up to it. And when you were leaving it, you were going down from it. And so very Jewish perspective there. But Jesus goes to this to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, it's been about four to six months since his baptism and, the, and since he's been identified as the Messiah. And all these months he's been preparing and teaching his first disciples. And now he's about to take them into the fire, if you will. 
Uh, I thought it, thought it was interesting in verse 13 where the Bible says, and the Jews Passover. Now remember John likes to use that term, the Jews, in reference to Jewish leadership. Uh, some people think he's being anti-Semitic. I'm like, he's Jewish himself. No, that's not what he's, he's, he's identifying the, the Passover with the Jewish leadership. Now I found that interesting because Passover, was it the Jewish leadership's idea? No, I mean, it's, it's God-ordained Passover in the Old Testament, right? So I thought to myself, why does, why does John choose to identify this as the Jews' Passover? Anybody got any thoughts on that, why that might be? I have a couple ideas, but, you know, it's just, just, I, I, just, I found that interesting because technically it wasn't theirs, it was God's. Um, however, I think a couple things, since you guys, I say it's Wednesday night, Pastor, I do not want to think. Um, I've been at work all day. Okay. Uh, I'll think for you. Um, uh, you know, number one idea could be that, that uh, John writing a gospel that is a very evangelistic and it's out, outgrowth, it's not identified, I don't think, as specifically any one group of people, and you would have had a lot of Gentiles re- reading this and, and they would not understand what Passover is, and so it's a way for them him to identify this as a Jewish festival. Another thought I had was John might be doing this as he does more consistently throughout his gospel. When he mentions the Jews, he typically doesn't meet, do it in a positive light because they were the enemies of the Lord. And I think that what, the, what he's implying here is that they, they had so corrupted, as we were about to see, Passover, that he's kind of saying, these guys, you know, they took what God's thing, God's direction, and they've taken it so far away from what God intended it to be. Um, but neither, either way, we're told that, that that was at hand. It's interesting because according to Josephus, and other rabbinic writings, this, these were very interesting years in the calendar, historical calendar for Passover. Ever had anybody ask you to say, why did, why did Jesus come when he came? You know, I mean, what if he'd have come today? I mean, I've had somebody ask me this, and I, the well-intentioned, say if he'd have come, if Jesus would have come to save the world today, he could have went on TikTok. You know, reached millions of people. You know, um, I, I always said, well, number one, he primarily came to his own, which is the Jewish people, so it's a Jewish thing to start with. I said, but, uh, you know, but I don't know about you today, but today, but I told you before, don't you think our problem today is not a lack of information? Our problem today is over-information. There's so much of it out there, you don't know what to believe anymore. I mean, I'm, I was talking to Jenny, we were coming over here to church tonight, and you know, I've, I've been reading about from places that seem to be reputable sources that, you know, we're, we're on the edge of having a, a diesel fuel supply problem. Y'all heard that? Some of you heard that? I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know whether to believe. I don't know if this is somebody I'm being played, like they're manipulating the market to get the markets to go crazy. So, you know, people like George Soros and Warren Buffett can make billions of dollars. I don't know if we're being played. I don't know. But there's information out there, but it's hard to do it. All I know is that when you look at the Scripture from a Jewish perspective and the history of the Jewish people, obviously God's sovereignty, God shows up on the planet in his time and in the perfect time. History tells us that during Jesus' day where he was attending uh, Passover, they were, most historians agree, probably the largest attended in Jewish history. In Edersheim, who, if you don't know who he is, he wrote a, a a very famous book, Jesus, Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. But he says, with historical data behind him, that between three and six million people attended during Jesus' day. Think about those numbers. 
that is an amazing amount of Jewish people coming together. Three to six million. Now, certainly the city could not hold that many inside, which is why on the outside during Passover, there'd be all these little people make little little huts, kind of like uh, they did during the Feast of Tabernacles, but, um, and they, they'd, they'd stay out there until they observed through the time of Passover. Uh, Edersheim also mentions, that I thought was fascinating to me, when you think about all the different sacrifices that were required during Passover, if you look at the Old Testament, do you realize how many animals had to be sacrificed? Edersheim says it would have been in the hundreds of thousands, maybe close to a million. Think about that. Man, I know some of you got in here, I know Pastor Cody has himself some chickens or something, and how many chickens does he have brought? They've got like around 40 chickens. That sounds like the craziest thing to me in the world. How do you handle 40 chickens? You know, I don't, I don't know. They got eggs everywhere. I, I just, I guess it's a good thing. But I can't imagine a million of, you know, three or 400,000 lambs and hundreds of thousands of pigeons or turtle doves, whatever, you know, all these things. I mean, it's just amazing that, that you can, in your mind, can you think of the scenery of that first century city that was a major metropolis and then they have, you know, three to six million people come down upon them and for Passover, just an amazing thing. So this is where I believe Jesus desired to announce and proclaim to the nation that he was in fact the Messiah. And when you understand that, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And this is probably why during the water to wine, isn't it, where he's telling Mary, this is not really the hour that I had, you know, which gets back into the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And I love that discussion, make your brain go round and round, you know. But I, I, ultimately, I'm a strong believer that God honors our free will to make choices, and yet at the same time, doesn't threaten the sovereignty and the purposes of God. When God wants to get something done, God gets it done. And uh, Mary... Mary had her water turned into wine and Jesus was where he needed to be when he needed to be there. And I think this is the perfect place that he was going to show and proclaim to the nation that he was in fact the Messiah. Now during Jesus' ministry, he will attend four different Passovers. Remember, it's about three and a half year ministry. So here's his first one. And then, you know, his last one is when he is, becomes the actual Passover lamb. And it's interesting that when he comes to Jerusalem, we're told here uh, that in verse uh, 14, let me go on, it says, and, uh, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. So tonight I want to end with the beginning of him coming into Jerusalem here into the temple in verse 14. It says when he comes in, the first place he goes is to the temple. We're going to find that's what he does the first time and the last time, and he cleanses it in the beginning of his ministry, and he cleanses it at the end of his ministry, and he comes into this temple. And once again, I, I, I don't think we appreciate for the, you know, some of it information lack or whatever, but the, the beauty of what's known as the second temple. Now, it's always been fascinating to me, and I was talking to Pastor Danny and Pastor Cody about this at our staff meeting this week about how the second temple obviously comes after the first. The first one is the one Solomon built. You all know about that one, which was awesome, you know. And then we know that the Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed and the people were taken off into captivity. And then God brought them back under Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple and rebuild the, you know, the, the walls of Jerusalem. And, and that was around, what, 450 or so, somewhere, give or take a little bit, B.C. You know, we're talking 400 some years earlier that Ezra comes back and, and rebuilds the basic form of the, of the temple. 
But it's still considered the second temple because from the time Ezra came all the way through Jesus' ministry here, that temple was being improved upon and and, uh, made better. And then King Herod comes on the throne and he converts to Judaism, which is also fascinating. Brother Brock or Danny, I'm curious, or anybody else in there, trivia for tonight. Uh, King Herod converted to Judaism, but was he Jewish? Oh, that Brock knows, I'm telling you. <laughs> he, see, when, when my people get it right, I don't get happy, I get mad, you know. No, Good. He was actually an Edomite, and the Edomites are descendants of who? Esau. Don't you find that fascinating that here we have Jacob and Esau still going at it a lot, you know, thousands of years later, and you know, they're still grappling with one another, and here's Esau's descendant who's converted to Judaism, and, and he decides, King Herod, that he is going to make his, you know, his posterity be about this temple. And there was no expense spared in developing not only the temple itself, but the compound around it and the, the fortress, the Roman fortress that was near it. And uh, the historical writers and rabbinic writers say that Herod's temple by the day of Jesus even eclipsed in beauty the one that Solomon built. Think about those statements. Now, I don't know how they can be absolute about it because none of them were there at both, but it was just an amazing place. I, I wish in my humanness, and I don't know what happens when we go to heaven, but it's one of those things that, I don't know, I, I figure God can show me what the temple looked like in Jesus' day, don't you? I mean, I figure he can. I, I hope he does, that maybe there's holographic, we can walk around in a 3D imagery, what it was like, I don't know. But I bet it was just, it, I think if we were to go there today and we could go back in time, we would be awestruck. But this is first century and, and the tapestry and, the, and the, the, the materials from the gold to the marble to the, it just was beyond one of the wonders of the world. And yet, as Jesus comes into the temple, Herod's temple, the second temple, there were things, critical things missing that were in the original temple and Solomon's temple that are not here. For all its wealth and opulence, there are things missing. Now, Edersheim and Dr. Frutenbaum say there are five things that are missing. All right, so we'll, so we, Brother Brock's already got you guys off on a good start. The crowd's doing good tonight. Um, can anybody tell me what you, what you think is missing from Solomon's temple now to the temple that Jesus is coming in that, wasn't, that was there at this one that isn't at this one? The Shekinah glory. Boom, that's one of them. The Ark of the Covenant. That's, that's a biggie, as we'll discuss here in a minute. You know, that's a big discussion. Um, I won't get too off on it. Maybe this is a Pastor Danny C4C video. I don't think you've ever done one on this one. Maybe it could be, you know, Dr. Jones, you cheat, Dr. Jones, but um, Dr. Weyerbach. No, that don't work. Dr. Jones works. Um, We love Joneses around here. Um, But people argue and try to find out whatever happened to the ark. You know, where where did the ark of the covenant go? What do you think, Pastor Danny? You got a feeling... you think the Lord took it up to heaven? You're so you think that you think that the, the the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly temple has the actual ark? 
Okay, anybody else? I'm, I'm curious. No, there's no wrong answers here unless, unless it's really wrong. Then I'll tell you it's wrong. It's not in hell. Okay, it's not there. I don't know if he thinks that. Right, let's eliminate that. I don't think it's there. I don't think it's in Missouri, um, the show me state. I don't think it's there. But anybody else? What do you think it is? Anybody? Yes. Yeah, you know, we do a lot of work in miss, missions work in Ethiopia and uh, Brother Brahanu, there's a, there's a, a, a sect of, of Jews. Matter of fact, you say, aren't they all, you know, dark-skinned? Yeah, they, you know, it's amazing what you say in a pool. Of, long story, but they, there's an area where they say that this religious sect says they have the Ark of the Covenant. Now, apparently, they'll not let anybody go in and actually prove that, <laughs> but they claim it. Um, so it could be in Ethiopia. Um, anybody else? Can you guys don't, Brother Brock, what's the most common interpretation of where the ark is or where we, we got, some people think I got destroyed. The Knights Templar, okay, the Masonic Lodge took it. I'm, I know one of those. Now we're going somewhere, a bunch of cult, I'm going to call it what it is. I'm not a big fan of the Masonic Lodge, you know, they, it's one of those, they look good, on, like an iceberg, looks good about this deep, the deeper you go, the worse it gets, but that's another you're getting me in trouble. Thank you, Pastor Danny. And then, and some people think there's a real, uh, that, that when right before Babylon got destroyed, that prophet Jeremiah took it and hid it somewhere. Some people think it's still hiding in a cave somewhere, who knows where, in Sinai or somewhere in the area. They, you know, there's, some, you know, there's some people that believe, you heard this one, um, true story. Some people believe that when Jesus was crucified on, on, on Mount Golgotha, that that his blood went down through the, the cross that was driven into the ground and that the, the Ark of the Covenant was being stored in a cave underneath Golgotha and the blood went down and anointed the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant. Some people believe that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not in on that one personally, but, you know, we don't know, so I'm not going to be too dogmatic about it. Uh, you know, I don't know where I would. I would probably lean towards that, like God had done with other things, that people would begin to worship. He would let them get destroyed. Um, or it's in the heavenly one. That'd probably be my two options that I would take. But any rate, that's missing. Anything else you can think of that's missing? The ark and the Shekinah glory are two of them. It gets harder from here. All right, you guys got the two? Nope. Okay, well, you're gonna, I, that's, not what, that's not what old Arnold and Edersheim said. But you might be right. I, I wouldn't go against... Remember how they, I'll give you a hint. How did in the Old Testament, did they figure out sometimes how they, they should make a decision if they should go right or they should go left? Yeah, the Urim and the Thummim. However you, however you say that in Hebrew, I think I said it right. Um, remember the two, the, the lights and, you know, the, 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 the thing they roll, they basically can find out what they do. Then there's the last thing, which is one I, I probably wouldn't have got, that they say is the holy anointing oil that it wasn't available in the second temple. Now, I, the, the Arnold doesn't go into it. The little I checked, I think it's because the process to make it involves some of the things that the, the, the ark or something that they had. To be, I don't know. They couldn't make it in that day, and so that was another one I thought. That's, that's interesting. Uh, but the bottom line is, here comes Jesus into the temple, and there's no ark, and there's no Shekinah glory. And this was a big problem for the, 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 the religious leaders of the day, especially when not only for Passover, but even more so for Day of Atonement. Remember on Day of Atonement and the, a fall feast where they would go in, and they, well, that's the one time of year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and put the, sprinkle the blood on the, on the mercy seat? Well, you couldn't do that. 
So, but Edersheim talks about some rabbinic writings of the day that instead what they did is they put in, uh, in Jesus' day in the Holy of Holies, they put one of the rocks that they felt was one of the original stones from the original temple, and they called it the foundational stone, and when they would do the Day, the, uh, day of Atonement uh, observances, the high priest would go near the curtain and just stand kind of in the entryway to the Holy of Holies and would take one of the censers with hot coals off the altar and would take some of the incense um, the, you know, the holy incense and they would throw it, you know, it was like a, a, a sandy kind of thing uh, and they would throw it on those hot coals and when it hits those coals it go you know, like a think, if I can, I can translate this to Roll Tide Alabama thing, think of fajitas, steak fajitas at Chili's when they come out on the plate on the little hot plate, say, Pastor you have really taken this downhill uh, hey, do you all understand that, right? And sizzling and if you can smell it no matter where you're at and you're going, oh, somebody ordered a steak fajita, I wish I'd have ordered that um, and, and, but same kind of effect and then what the high priest would do is he had the sensor and he'd swing it, it would have all the smoke and then he would waft the smoke into the holy holies till it was embalmed they're just filled with this this incense smoke and that's what they did in 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 jesus day um but boy missing the shekinah glory you know boy remember back in solomon's day when he dedicated the temple the, the fire of god fell and the cloud filled the holy of holies um and now here we are into john chapter 2 and jesus has been born and grown into a man been identified as the messiah as the god man and now here comes the king, the Messiah, the son of God, the physical manifestation of God into the temple. You know, again, this is a fulfillment of some Old Testament prophets had said that God would come back into the temple, and here he is. That the Shekinah glory would appear again, and here he is in physical form in John chapter 1. Uh, you can certainly, John identifies him as such, as the light of the world. And here's all these people, millions of people, how many of them do you think really recognized that now God was back in the temple? Probably not very many. You know, it's not, things haven't changed all that much, have they? And yet here comes the king into the temple. Now the disciples knew. I imagine they were full of anticipation. I imagine if I was one of the disciples, I would have figured that this is the perfect time. Jesus is going to tell everybody he's the Messiah and the kingdom is about to be set up. I bet they were, they, were probably the, they were probably as happy as your kids are the day they're waiting in line to get into Six Flags Great America or something like that. This is going to be good stuff. And as we'll see next week, the God-man begins his temple ministry by revealing the fire and cleansing the temple. And yet, this is the beginning of his very public declaration that he is, in fact, the Messiah. You know, um, we'll stop here for tonight, but it's interesting that Jesus would show Peter, James, and John later his glory at what we know as a transfiguration. And that one day, because of what Jesus would do by dying on the cross and rising again, that he would make his glory and his presence available his dwelling place no longer in a temple but now in us as his temple and it was interesting as i was studying this week that remember what i mentioned when solomon built the original one and the bright cloud came in at the dedication of the temple it's interesting to me that in second chronicles chapter 5 if you want to read this for yourself second chronicles 5 verses 12 to 14 god commands that as the ark of the covenant was brought in that 120 priests were to blow trumpets the shofars as one and as they blew the, the trumpets as one, then the glory of God and the presence of God came into the temple among them. 
It's interesting that that oneness that, that God demanded before his presence came into the temple was very similar to what we are told after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. We find that the disciples are met together in Jerusalem, and according to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1, the Bible tells us that they were in one place and they were in one accord. And then we know the Holy Spirit came as in tongues of cloven fire. You know, as we stop tonight, I want to leave with you this, as I've been harping on this the last several months, if you haven't picked up on it, Churches will never really experience the full presence and revelation of the glory of God and the power of God if they don't have unity. There has to be a oneness. This is why Satan works so hard to divide churches. And I will tell you as a pastor doing this a long time, it is very difficult to get a bunch of sheep to like each other. Be nice to each other. Now, unity, if I don't, I, some, again, I, I'm going to speak to some of my independent Baptist brethren. We've, you've been misled to think that unity means that everybody agrees on everything and everybody looks the same and has the same viewpoint on what kind of music they listen to and what their hair looks like and where they are. No! There's got to be a greater unification than a bunch of rules. The unification needs to be on the presentation of the person of Jesus Christ. And you need, and we need, so sometimes says, oh, you know, that family over there, that, <laughs> that Weyerbach family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but hey, his wife loves the Lord, you know. There's some redeeming factors there. You know, it's all good, but we come together as one. And I don't know how we ever expect to see God reveal himself in a mighty way unless we love each other with a oneness. It's also interesting that in Second Chronicles, when God says, I want you to come, to, the priests to come together as one, make a joyful noise together, sing together, blah, blow the shofar, and then I'm going to come in. I'm going to bring my presence among you. Well, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension and the, the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell us, he once again brings his priests together as one. And it's fascinating to me. You know, in Second Chronicles chapter 5, it tells us how many priests were there? 120. Does anybody remember according to Acts chapter 1 and verse 15? Do you know how many people were gathered in that upper room awaiting the presence of the coming? 120. I think it's an important thing. We need to dwell together as unity and let the presence of Jesus Christ be very evident among us. Amen? Amen. Uh, thank you for tuning in tonight. We're going to stop a little early. We've got a meeting to get to. Uh, so thank you for being here. We've got a lot going on this weekend. And Lord willing, we'll be back here Sunday morning. I can't wait to continue in on my series on where is God. Um, whew, I need to be here Sunday. It's, uh, it, I'm, I'm excited. I'm always excited to preach. Well, that's not true. I'm almost always excited to preach. And right now, I'm very excited to preach Sunday morning, so be back here, all right? Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning, or this evening, excuse me, and thank you for the, the presence that you've secured in our lives as your death and your burial and your resurrection, and we're so thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Help us to produce the fruit which is demonstrated by our love for one another and uh, the peace and the joy that comes from uh, a personal walk with you. God, we go through difficult days. We get discouraged. We make mistakes. Thank you for your mercy. And again, Lord, help us to love one another. Thank you for the way you've blessed us and blessed our church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you over and out. We'll see you guys. Meet me over here.